last two weeks, I've been preaching a series on prayer. Today's going to be the third message in that series, but I want to lay a foundation that I've laid because obviously there are some folks here today to honor our graduates that haven't gotten to be here with us the last couple weeks. Maybe you haven't uh, gotten to hear the messages or, or missed one of them, so I'm going to lay a basic foundation that I've been laying every service, uh, and then we'll get into the message today. First of all, prayer is one of the foundational elements of Christianity. Folks that that don't even consider themselves Christian and they, they have no intention of ever embracing Christ, yet those even those folks know that prayer is a basic fundamental of Christianity. And there was a man, a French Roman Catholic Archbishop by the name of Francois Fenelon, who said this, and I, I love this quote. Listen what it says. Of all the duties enjoined by Christianity, none is more essential and yet more neglected than prayer. Of all the duties uh, enjoined by Christianity, none is more essential and yet more neglected than prayer. A relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ without prayer is like trying to grow grass without planting seed. Or it's like trying to build a house without first laying a foundation. You simply cannot separate the two. You cannot have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ unless you pray. As a matter of fact, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. But yet as foundational, as fundamental, as essential, as basic as prayer is to your Christian walk with the Lord, most people fall into two categories when it comes to their prayer life. They're either confused on, on how to really pray and communicate with the Lord or they're frustrated because they feel like that their prayers are not beneficial. Two weeks ago on Mother's Day, we took a, a look at the story of a praying mother by the name of Hannah. And we talked about her persistence in prayer and in trusting God for the answer. And then last week we talked about how your prayer life reveals your level of intimacy with the Lord. Who you pray to, who you pray for, and who you pray with reveals how deep you are in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and also in those who follow Him. And in fact, when somebody tells you that they have prayed for you, and I'm not talking about the social media cliche type praying for you today where people scroll through and they comment on something praying for you and they scroll on past it after they've commented it and never actually pray for you. I'm talking about when somebody looks at you and tells you, I'm praying for you and your situation, can I tell you that is one of the greatest gifts you can give somebody else on this side of heaven. It's one of the greatest gifts you could ever give them in this life. And my prayer is that over the course of the last couple weeks that you have been persistent about spending some intimate time in prayer talking with the Lord. And I also hope that you've prayed both with and for somebody else. Today I want to go to a different passage of Scripture that I believe shows us some things about prayer that can really help change our prayer life from the thank you for this day, bless this, bless that, talk to you later God kinds of prayers that we typically pray every day. I want to talk to you about a passage found in the book of Luke. It's actually an abbreviated form of what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, most of the time we read it in the other Gospels, but today I want to look at us look at it in Luke. Because this passage will help us with a pattern 
for our prayer life. If you will, stand with me all over the room today. I'm going to read it in the King James Version, and then I'll read it again in the Message Translation. Luke 11, 1 through 4. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I want to look at that same passage of Scripture in the Message Translation. And right above that passage of Scripture in the message, there's a header that says, Ask for what you need. Ask for what you need. Not what you want, but ask for what you need. Here's what the Word says in the message translation. One day he was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said, Master, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So he said, When you pray, say, Father, Reveal who you are. Set the world right. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves. I'm going to talk about that. And the devil. I want to preach to you today the third message in this series we've titled, I Pray. Today we're going to talk about patterns. Pray with me and for me one more time. Father, thank you for your word. I ask you to remove every hindrance out of the way right now. Don't let me deliver my words, but let it be your words. Anoint every ear to hear your word today and every heart to receive your word. And God, let us leave here today with a strategic prayer pattern in our life. And Father, most importantly, we pray today, if there's somebody sitting here that has never prayed to accept you as their Savior, we pray before they leave this place today or before they turn off the program online that they would pray that prayer today. We'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise in advance. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. I'm going to try to move a little bit quickly uh, this morning because I I value your time and I want you to be able to hear this word today. It's interesting to me that the disciples realized, the disciples, the 12 people closest to the Lord Jesus Christ realized that they did not really know how to pray. That's interesting to me. They actually asked for training and instruction from the Lord. They weren't satisfied or even content with their present level and their ability to communicate with the Father. And this inquiry reveals to us the need that we have to learn how to pray. Listen, you don't get saved and automatically have a master's degree in prayer, right? You have to learn how to pray and how to commune with the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the bottom line. We are all in a learning process when it comes to prayer. I don't care how close you get. You can always get closer. We're all in a learning process of prayer. And if you want to have an effective prayer life, each of us has to learn how to pray. My concern is this, that many of us never try to learn. We never try to improve in our prayer life. We're still praying at the same level and the same depth at which we prayed 10, 15, or even 20 years ago when we accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. But when your child is two, you don't mind the fact that they talk to you, they communicate with you very simplistically, right? They say, hold me, 
Or actually, when Abby was little, I believe it was Abby would say, hold you. And she, that meant she wanted you to hold her. She'd reach up and say, hold you. Or when they say, feed me or uh, give me, right? They're always saying, give me. You don't mind it when they communicate with you that way. But when they're 23, 24, and 25, you expect them to be able to carry on a mature adult conversation, right? Why should it be any different in our prayer life with the Lord? Why do we talk to Him 10, 15, and 20 years later the same way we talked to Him when we first met Him? Shouldn't our relationship with Him have grown more intimate by now? Some of us need to examine our own individual prayer lives closely this morning. And I know at times in this message it's going to get quiet. I told you before, I love to preach those messages where you're just praising the Lord and shouting, but this is probably not one of those. But it's a message that will challenge you to draw closer in your prayer life with the Lord. Ask yourself this morning, has my prayer life matured? Is it deeper than what it used to be? Am I learning to more effectively communicate with the Lord? Then ask yourself this question. This is a good one. Is anybody else trying to learn to pray like you do? See, something about Jesus' ability to pray in this passage of Scripture intrigued His disciples to want to know more about what He knew. If you want to know if your prayer life has matured, one way to know that is if when others hear you pray, they want to be around you to learn how to pray like you do. I'm not talking about being able to pray and impress people with fancy language and eloquent prayers. All you have to do to learn that is hang around some self-righteous preachers every now and then. What I'm talking about is when somebody hears you pray, they recognize the fact that you've got a real-life connection with the Lord Jesus Christ, and they want to learn that. I remember as a teenager hearing some precious saints pray. Anybody else remember that? And listening to the depths of the prayers that they would pray. As a teenager, I would go into the prayer room. It was actually a library at the church where I attended where there may be over 200 people that would attend a service at any given point in time, but yet on Sunday nights before service, there were five or six faithful people that would meet in that room in that library for prayer. And there was a table in there with chairs all around the table. And everybody that came in there would take a chair, slide it out from the table and make it an altar for themselves. And they would get down and pray. And they would get down to business with God. It was so good. I wanted to learn to pray like them that I would slip out of choir practice early so that I could go into that room about 15 minutes before church would start and pray. Many times I would get down and pray, but there were many times I remember I would get down and start to pray, and then I would find myself listening to those saints as they got in a deep spirit of prayer because they were getting a hold of God when they pray. They knew how to touch heaven with their prayers. If there's anything that's lost in the church today, it's the fact that this world needs a church that knows how to touch heaven when we pray. And they knew how to touch heaven. Then much later on after I would got into ministry, uh, Janelle's father and Sister Barano's husband, Brother J.K. Barano, who by the way they pastored in the church of God together for over 40 years. I remember hearing him pray even after he developed full-blown dementia. There would be times when I would visit him that he wouldn't even know who I was. 
There were a few times that he did. There were times when I visited him that sometimes he didn't know who some of his family was. There were times that I visited that the conversations that we would try to have didn't make a bit of sense the entire time that we had conversation. But I want to tell you something this morning. Every single time when I would get ready to leave and I would ask Brother Barano, could we pray? He would perk up and he would say, why certainly. And then I would, he would sometimes ask me to lead, but I would always defer back to him and say, Brother Barano, won't you lead us? And I'm telling you, we could have had a conversation that made absolutely zero sense. He could have not hardly known who he was that day or who I was or who anybody else was. But when you asked the man to pray, he had a direct line to heaven. And I'm telling you, he would pray. He would get a hold of God. Every single word made sense. Everything was right. Everything was in line. Why? Because even though he was losing his earthly mind, there was a connection between him and God that never faltered because he had learned how to touch heaven when he prayed those old saints made me want to learn how to pray more effectively and in our text today the disciples hear that and see that from Jesus and they come to Jesus and they say Lord teach us to pray and so in our text today Jesus honors their hunger for prayer and he will yours and he gives them instructions on how to pray but I want to say that again he honored their hunger if you want to receive anything from God you first got to get hungry for it but he gives them some instructions and I love how the message translation brings this out because it's almost like it brings it out in bullet points to expound upon and that's what I'm going to do today first of all he says pray that God be revealed I want you to think about that for a moment. Jesus could have started off by saying, pray for world peace. And how many knows today we need world peace? He could have said, pray for economic stability. Don't even get me started. If they even do what they're thinking about doing for a third or fourth time around, we've lost our ever-loving minds. Don't even get me started. But he didn't say, pray for economic stability. He didn't say, pray for miracles. Lots of people are chasing miracles. They don't even want to worship or serve the Lord unless they're seeing miracles. you got to worship and serve Him before you'll see the miracles. Jesus' first instruction was none of that. His first instruction to them was pray that God would reveal Himself. See, Jesus knew that many of the things that we spend significant time asking for and pleading for in prayer would be resolved if we simply could get a revelation of who God is. What are you talking about, Pastor? Do you need Him to provide? Do you need provision in your life? What you need is a revelation of Him as Jehovah Jireh. God is my provider. You need healing in your life? I don't care what the doctor's report says. What you need is to get a revelation of Him as Jehovah Rapha, the God that healeth thee. You need some peace in your life because Lord knows this world's in a mess and turmoil and most people are living in a mess and turmoil. But you need some peace in your life. You need to get a revelation of Him as Jehovah Shalom. God is my peace. You need protection in your life. You need to get a revelation of him as my protector he is my protector who will never leave or never forsake me most of the answers you need in your prayer life come from a revelation that you need of who God is 
I think our prayers, though, often reveal a lack of revelation. Our lives, our outlook, our perspective, our priorities, uh huh, our problems would dramatically change if we had a revelation of who God is. As I wrote this down, I, I thought I could preach a whole sermon on this statement that I typed out this week. Lack of revelation leads to lack of preparation, lack of separation, lack of participation, and a lack of sanctification. Let me say that again. Lack of revelation of who God is leads to a lack of preparation. If you don't get a revelation of who God is, that's why you're not preparing to meet Him one day. If you lack a revelation of who God is, you'll lack a separation of yourself from this world and the things of this world. If you, if you have a lack of revelation of who God is, you'll have a lack of participation uh, in His kingdom and what your purpose is in that kingdom. And last but not definitely not least, if you lack a revelation of who God is that's why you're seeing people say that they're serving God but they lack sanctification in their life they lack being set apart that's why you see people who come to the altar and they ask for forgiveness but they don't repent of their sin and there is a difference and then they go back and they do the same thing over and over and over again when you get a true revelation of who God is and you'll get true true sanctification in your life you'll get free from those chains, free from that bondage just ask Michaela Feltz free from everything that's holding you back when you get a revelation of who God is. So I challenge you during your next prayer time to ask God to reveal himself to you in your life. Ask God to reveal himself in your children in your marriage in your health, and in your finances. So he says, pray for God to reveal himself. The second thing he says is, pray the world right. Boy, that's a broad statement. Pray the world right. Jesus instructs us to pray for our world all around us to be set right. Now, you know how big of an advocate I am of worship. I love worship. I want you to notice something. He doesn't say, sing the world right. He doesn't say, criticize the world right. Boy, the church is good at that. Mm-hmm. We get all self-righteous and lifted up. Boy, it's quiet. And we want to criticize. And that doesn't do anything except leave a bad taste in the mouths of people who have not yet accepted Christ. He doesn't say, fight the world right. Those of you, oh, it got so quiet at 8.45, you could have heard a pin drop. Those of you that feel like you need to fight for social injustice, see, it did it again. He didn't say, fight the world right. I feel the Lord when I say that. There's a right way and a wrong way to stand for the right. He doesn't say, fight the world right. I want you to notice something else. He doesn't even say, preach the world right. You know what he does say? Pray the world right. Why? Because when you pray the world right, God knows how to handle it so much better than we do. 
We underestimate the ability of our prayers. And before we pray for our own little world, you know, our four and no more, before we do that, we're told and we're instructed when Jesus has given instructions on prayer, we're told to pray for our world. Listen, I don't care who your president is. We're supposed to pray for our leaders. Our prayers must be other-oriented, other people-oriented. Most of the time our prayers are too confined to us. But we got to expand beyond us and ours to the entire world around us because the reality is our needs become smaller when we view them through the lens of the world's needs, the greater needs. Maybe that's why some of us never pray for other people. Maybe we're so self-centered that we want to remain the focus of our own attention. Let's determine as a church that in our own personal prayer lives, we're going to start with the needs of others, to put the pain of those around us before the needs of our own lives. Because I want you to remember something. What you pray into existence for other people, God makes happen for you. Did you hear me? What you pray into existence for other people, God makes happen for you. As you pray for others, it always seems that God causes somebody else to pray for your needs. Prayer also leads to action. When we begin to pray for the needs of others, we'll be prompted to take action. We may very well be, we may very well be the answer to the prayer we're praying. Did you realize that? Sometimes God wants you to do something for somebody besides pray. And when you're praying, He'll reveal what that is to you. Praying for somebody's need, though, truly praying for somebody else's need, is one of the greatest gifts you can ever give them on this earth. Thirdly, he says, then pray for our needs. After you've prayed for the world, pray for our needs. And most of us have a handle on that one. We know how to do that all too well. We know how to pray for our own needs. But we fail to master the placement of that prayer. I want you to notice, the first thing he said to do was say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. See, the prayer for our needs comes after you've worshipped and praised. Mm, Did you hear me? It comes after you've worshipped and and praised. The prayer for our needs comes after you've prayed that God would reveal himself, uh, and which reveals our deep dependency on him. Uh, the, The prayer for our own needs comes after you've prayed for the broader needs of other people. See, for most of us, Our own prayer needs dominates the time and the scope of our prayers. That's what's wrong with our prayer lives today. We never seem to get past our own shopping list that we bring to God. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us talk to Him more often when we need Him to do something. We never get past our own shopping list. But Jesus simply says, when it comes to your needs, make it simple. Ask Him for your daily bread. God, give me today what I need to get through today. I love the way it says it in the message version. Give me three square meals. Just keep me alive is all I'm asking. And then move on knowing that God will hear and respond and meet the need. Ask yourself the question today, are your needs the prominent feature of your prayers? Or are someone else's needs the prominent feature of your prayers? And lastly, I want to talk to you about praying for forgiveness and protection. Now there's a few things that I want to draw your attention to here. There should be a constant check to make sure that we are living forgiven with the Father, but also forgiving others. 
There needs to be a constant check in our lives that we're living forgiven with the Lord, but also that we're forgiving others. There's a story that goes that little Johnny had been misbehaving. He was sent to his room. And after a while, he came out of his room and he informed his mama that he had thought it over. And then I said a prayer. Oh, good, Johnny, his mama said. If you ask God to help you not misbehave, he'll help you. Oh, I didn't ask him to help me not misbehave, said Johnny. I asked him to help you put up with me. That's funny. But the reality is, too many of us have been forgiven once, but we fail to continue to live forgiven. We're just expecting God and others to put up with us. See, oh, help me, Lord. See, there's no shame in this world today. There's no shame in sin anymore. Matter of fact, sin is whatever you define it to be. Sin is whatever you feel is wrong. If it's not wrong for you to be promiscuous, then God doesn't care. If it's not wrong for you to commit adultery, then God doesn't care. If it's not wrong for, for you to drink, then God doesn't care. Well, it gets quieter with everyone I mention. See, we've redefined what sin is. And we've been forgiven once, but we don't continue to live forgiven. We just keep going back to whatever it was that we asked God to forgive us from. But i got to tell you something, as much as I love you, what God said was sin in this book over 2,000 years ago is still sin today. God hasn't changed His mind just because we think we're more intellectual now than the authors of the Bible were. God hasn't changed His mind just because, oh, we've evolved and times are different now. No, if God said it was sin then, I love you, but I love you enough to tell you it's still sin now. God hasn't changed his mind. And once you ask him to forgive you, get up and walk away from that mess and don't go back to it. If you fall, yes, God will forgive you. But don't keep walking back and, and calling it a fall or a failure when you willingly and willfully walked into it yourself. God hasn't changed his mind. Living forgiven. See, we just want God and and others to learn to put up with us. But we need to check to make sure that we aren't misbehaving in the eyes of God so that we won't misbehave in the eyes of others. Living forgiven also demands, though, that we live forgiving. I want you to listen to me. It's absolutely essential that we pray our way into offering forgiveness to others at the same level at which it was offered to us. Let me say that again. It's absolutely essential that we pray our way into offering forgiveness to others at the same level at which it has been offered to us. I find that way too many times many of us demand forgiveness, but we never extend that same forgiveness to other people. I'm finding, I'm finding that so-called forgiven people sometimes seem to be the most easily offended the most angry, and the most revenge-oriented people on the planet. So-called forgiven people. But you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, vengeance is mine. Vengeance is not yours. You know what your calling card is supposed to be? 
forgiveness. You're supposed to forgive, let him have the vengeance. And I promise you it works out much better that way. Some of you need to spend more time. Some of us need to spend more time praying this type of prayer. We desperately need the forgiveness quotient going up in our life. Who do you need to forgive today? When I said that, some of you had somebody immediately come to mind. You need to, you, need, you know what you need to do? You need to practice the theme song of Frozen. You need to let it go. And forgive. Let God deal with it. If we don't forgive, we feel exposed and vulnerable and we wonder why. Not realizing that our own spirit of unforgiveness exposes us to gaps in God's protection. Thirdly, forgiveness positions us for protection by keeping us safe from us. I'm going to close after this one. Forgiveness stands in the path of protection. I want you to notice the order that God gave us in this prayer, the pattern. Forgive, and once you forgive, then comes protection. I think we underestimate the power that forgiveness and unforgiveness have in our lives. Jesus followed up his instruction to pray that we will be forgivers with instruction to pray, listen to this, that we would be kept safe from ourselves. Did you hear me? Jesus acknowledges that there's an enemy out there that we need to be protected from. However, he also makes it clear that our number one enemy is not out there. Our number one enemy is in here. Mm -hmm. I preached a message one time when I was a youth pastor to uh, a bunch of young people, and I titled that message, My Own Worst Enemy. See, what we tend to blame on the enemy most of the time should have been blamed on us. Mm -hmm. We give the devil way too much credit. We help him out way too much. Due to unforgiveness, poor choices, because some of us make poor choices, let's just be honest. Due to our own sin and our own hard-headedness, we can derail our own walk with the Lord Jesus Christ faster than the devil ever could. The Bible teaches us to give credit where it's due. And some of us are giving way too much credit to the devil. He doesn't do as much to us as we do to ourselves. Take the credit that you deserve. Listen, own it. I said own it. Somebody that wants true forgiveness from the Lord and from others will own it. They won't try to make excuses. Well, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. You responded to his temptation to do it. But you made that choice. Own it. Somebody that wants real forgiveness, I feel like preaching here just a moment. Somebody that wants real forgiveness in your life and in the life of the church, they'll own their sin. They'll admit their mistake. See, we've gotten away from the time in the church. I remember growing up. Anybody else grow up in the church where if you sinned, you got up in front of the church and you apologized to the church for it and you asked God's forgiveness? I see a few heads nodding. Then I see a lot of people with a deer in the headlights look like, oh, my God, surely he's not going to expect that from me when I go out and sin. I want to tell you something. There's a little thing that's left the church today that's called accountability. And we should, uh, we should hold those who claim Christ accountable for their 
our actions. I'm not finished yet. You may not clap when I'm done. You, When you sin and you do wrong, if you truly want forgiveness, if you truly want restoration, then you'll own your sin, you'll own your wrong, and you'll ask both God and man to forgive you. And if you're too prideful to do that, then you don't want true forgiveness, and you certainly don't want to be set free. It's time we expose the devil for what he is. He's a master manipulator who's trying to derail the church and cause us to lose the power, the ordained, God-given power that God has given us over the enemy. It's through a spirit of compromise and no accountability. But as long as I live, I'll preach this word. I'll stand on what God says and let God's word be true. And every man, including myself, a liar. Even though God will and does forgive us, we need to learn this. And I'm getting ready to open the altar. We need to learn this, folks, because it's, it's a harsh reality. Even though God does forgive us, sometimes we have to live with the consequences of our own sin. What are you talking about, Pastor? King David, some of you are looking at me like I'm mad. I promise you I'm not mad. Not mad. King David was forgiven. The Bible said he was a man after God's own heart. He was forgiven of grievous sins. I mean, what we would classify as major sins. There really are no big sins and little sins. Some of you that want to condemn others for things you consider a big sin, some of those little sins you're doing behind the closed doors, God sees those too. David was forgiven of what we consider grievous sins though. Lust, adultery, robbery, and murder. God forgave him absolutely and completely. And removed that sin from him completely. I believe that. But you know what God did not remove? You don't hear many people preach this. But God didn't remove the pain that David had to endure the rest of his life as a result of his own sin. You don't believe me? You just go home and read the book of 2 Samuel. Read the book. The child that was born out of David's adultery, it died. David's son, Abnon, raped David's daughter, Tamar. You think you've got problems in your family. David's son, Absalom, Murdered Amnon. And then Absalom brought the kingdom into total rebellion. For the rest of David's reign, although he was forgiven, violence filled his home and his kingdom for the rest of his life. Although David knew that he was forgiven, he had to deal with the consequences of his own sin. Sometimes you know what we need to do? We need to ask God to protect us from us. Ask God to protect you from you. You know why? Sometimes we're self-destructing. Sometimes we're repeating patterns. Sometimes we're falling into the same place over and over and over again. And we need to pray, God, help me. We love to pray, oh, God, change them. Why do they act like that? We need to pray, God, help me. Rita laughed like she prays that for Ernie. 
God, fix me. God, instead of asking God to change somebody else, why don't you pray this? God, change me. You'll see the effectiveness of that prayer in your life. As they come to the music today. This afternoon, I want to invite you to spend just a few moments. It's only 1220. A few moments in prayer with the Lord. But today, do it patterned after Jesus' model prayer that we've talked about. I want to ask you this morning, do you need to make a new commitment for a greater level of prayer with the Lord? If so, there's no better place to do that than at an altar of prayer. Do you need God to forgive you of something? You've never accepted Him. He wants to forgive your sins. He wants to save your soul and change your life. You say, oh, preacher, I've, I've done too much. I've made too many mistakes. No, you've not. Even after all the things that I told you David did, God still forgave him. If you need to be forgiven today, don't leave here without being forgiven. But I'm going to ask you another tough question. Do you need to forgive somebody else? If so, there's no better thing that you can do than to lay that on an altar of prayer. They may not even know that you need to forgive them, but you know. You need to lay that down and forgive them. Do you need to ask God to protect you from you? Do you have a loved one who has a need? Maybe they need to accept Christ. Maybe they need to be delivered and set free. Or maybe that loved one just needs God to move in their life. There's no better place to bring that than to an altar of strategic patterned prayer. Do you need somebody to agree with you in prayer today about something? If you do, I want to promise you, if you come to this altar, you'll find somebody to agree with you in prayer this morning. If you'll stand with me all over the room, listen. When we make the declaration, I pray, it needs to be more than just an empty statement. When we make that declaration as a truth, it needs to be a truth spoken by a people who know how to pray. Because I want to tell you something. If this world needs anything today, this world needs a church that knows how to pray and touch heaven. I'm going to leave you with this quote. We're going to open this altar. E.M. Bounds said this. Prayer honors God. Prayer acknowledges His being. Prayer exalts His power. Prayer adores His providence. But you know what else prayer does? It secures His aid. Do you need his aid today?